Okay, everyone. I just have to say, um, there's bad news. There's good news and there's bad news. The good news is, well, there's two bad newses and one good news. I'll start with bad news, then good news, then bad news. The bad news is, as you already know, the podcast is going on hiatus in a couple of weeks. So this is one of the last few episodes. Don't forget. So if you have any input, any things to say, you can always reach me at abnismillennial at gmail.com or at SDA millennial on Instagram, Twitter, etc., etc. Uh, the good news is I have a really good, interesting interview with a friend of mine, Melissa Suarez, who has an interesting experience in Adventism, as most millennials do, and she talks about it very openly. So I appreciate that. The second bad news is in, you know, par for the course, in perfect Emily fashion, I bungled the production of this episode. Um... (laughs) And, of course, it's apropos that after 50 however many episodes, I still have not gotten a handle on how to make a good podcast, but that's the reality. So, basically what happened is we had some technical problems, Um, the recording stopped, we had to restart it, and then a bunch of weird stuff happened, and she made sense throughout, which is good, but unfortunately my audio cut out halfway through, so instead of her just having a one-sided conversation, (laughs) I'm going to try to reenact what I said, because let's be honest, I'm super predictable and we can all guess what it was that I said. (laughs) So partway through, it's going to be me now trying to replace what I said then. And hopefully it makes sense. So uh, don't let that ruin the experience because I really enjoyed speaking with Melissa. Um, but, But work with me here and try to imagine that what I said was just incredibly insightful and enjoyable and like wise and all that sort of thing. Okay, good luck. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. I don't even remember. How did we meet? Do you remember? (laughs) I was actually trying to remember that as well. Um. (laughs) I feel like we just somehow have known each other for a little while. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. I feel like it was either... There's a couple of different scenarios in my mind. It was either like at a potluck after church, maybe in Loma Linda. You know, I'm remembering we were at like a party, someone's house. Um, maybe like so. A birthday party or something. We have like mutual friends. Yeah, and I think, I think we so. And we just started chatting so. and then somehow we became Facebook friends. And then, yeah, we, I don't know, we haven't <laughs> talked a lot, but I just see no, that you post true. interesting stuff and I was like, same. <laughs> same. I feel the so, same. Okay. This is the time when we get to know each other and find out your story. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm excited well, too. Cool. Yeah. And thank you for being willing to do this because not a, a lot of people are, surprisingly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's terrifying. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So can you just tell us, like, who you are, what you're about, a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, my name is Melissa Suarez. Um, I was raised Adventist. I am an Adventist millennial as well. Nice. So, um, and then of course, like my my experience or my journey 
through like religion and spirituality has kind of gone a lot of different places. And I mean, I've always been Adventist, baptized at 11, went through the Adventist school system until graduate school when I went to public school for the first time in my whole life. So I finished at Southern with communications. And then immediately after that, I went to law school at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. So that was kind of a change. And then that's an interesting, yeah. Can you describe like what were the most jarring differences for you between <laughs> Adventist school and non-Adventist school? Um, everybody drank a lot at UTK, yeah. and I but didn't. that's not unheard of at Adventist school. Oh, no, no, no. I think everybody drank, well, I don't know if everybody drank a, a lot at public, Southern, but I guess. exactly. It was like there were, the whole middle of campus at Knoxville was like bars, so obviously yeah. that's pretty different than Southern, but um, I don't know. It was, it was, it was interesting because I, because of the way that I was raised, I was afraid of anyone who wasn't Adventist. So, <laughs> so I went to school at this public school with this fear of everybody. Yeah. And which now looking back, I have very different views on that. But, yeah. you know, I was just so afraid. And then I got there and I was so surprised at how nice everyone was. <laughs> Everyone's so normal. Yeah. Yeah, like they're human beings and they're really nice and really like ethical. And I felt like, and I don't know if, yeah, and I don't know if part of it was being in law school specifically because you're studying, like it's the justice system, like you're studying things and you're delving into issues and topics that have to do with justice and fairness and equality and all of that kind of thing. And so I was just, I just felt like, I look back and even when I was there, I felt like I was surrounded by people who were intelligent, good people. Even the professors, even though they were hard on us, they they wanted us to succeed. And my peers, it was just it was just a good experience. And I just Mm -hmm. wasn't expecting that at all. And so it was really valuable for me coming out of the Adventist bubble into. (laughs) I think it's a common experience for uh, in Adventism to kind of have the the non-adventist boogeyman setup of Mm -hmm. like people don't associate with other people who aren't adventists Mm -hmm. and like you it's typical to like prejudge people just because they're not adventists definitely (laughs) which you know it's it's sad and it takes kind of like going to law school at a (laughs) non-adventist university to realize that yeah so can you talk about sort of some of the ways that your uh attitude has changed over the years or what your relationship to the church has been over the years? I It's interesting because at this point in my life, I'm almost more afraid of a lot of Adventists than I am of most other people. <laughs> <laughs> like I've flipped, you know, I was raised with this yeah. fear of the world. And now I almost feel like because of my experiences with and in the church, I'm almost more afraid of, <laughs> maybe not afraid, mm-hmm. but like, um disenchanted yeah or cautious Mm -hmm. about maybe the um genuineness of of a lot of people in the church and you know that's I know a lot of good people in the church too but I think too that my definition of church has kind of changed because of that um, where I was raised to think the Adventist church is God's remnant people and Mm -hmm. we are special and peculiar and all of this and I mean we're definitely peculiar (laughs) but (laughs) 
but I almost now define church um, as just, you know, anyone on this planet who is seeking the values. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Heresy. <laughs> seeking the values that Jesus embodies and whether or not they even know the name Jesus or like the name Jesus because maybe they have misconceptions about God because of how he's been presented by people. Um, mm. I don't know. I think that's semantics. I think that there are a lot of people who will walk into heaven and meet Jesus and go like, oh, you actually are all of the things that I like and appreciated and the values that I upheld on earth. And so I think my definition of like the church, like God's people, if you will, is kind of shifted now. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people in. How do you think? Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there are a lot of people in Adventism and out of Adventism that would be part of that and also would not be so how how do you think um that changed for you and did you realize that it was changing um as it was happening yeah um okay this is the part where everything goes haywire and my competence falls through the floor and there's no more audio for me so i'm going to reenact it and hopefully give you the gist of what i was saying but the main part you know what you really need to hear is what Melissa has to say. So don't worry. Nothing that I said probably was really that valuable anyway. All right, here we go. I was baptized when I was 11 because that was the thing you do when you're 11. And then it was not until I was 21 or 22, I can't remember exactly how old I was, that I had my first experience with God. I mean, a personal, I felt God speaking to me and it was very personal for the first time in my life. So Mm. that whole story is kind of a story for another day. But I, um, from that point on, my life kind of changed. Like God became real to me and became a very big part of my daily day-to-day life. So, and that was actually right when I was just finishing college. I graduated from Southern. It was like a month later that I experienced God, fell in love with him, and he became real to me. Hmm. So from that point on, I kind of boomeranged back into the things that I had been raised in, but with, um, but with a personalized element. Like now it was, it was sincere. I, I did daily devotions because I wanted to. I stopped. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> I would say I became very conservative, actually, <laughs> because that was how I was raised. But I did it out of very sincere motives. And, and it was, and for me, I think at the time it was just what I needed because I was going through some very, um, challenging emotional and mental, um, problems. And that's what led to God becoming, giving God, I think, access to me in a way that he hadn't had before I was open to him. And so anyway, it was almost like a, like a crutch or a bandaid or a something. It was, I needed it. It was my lifeline. And so God became real to me. And that was like the next few years of my life, um, I was I was kind of immersed in um, growing that relationship with God. And so and like I said, it was for me a very conservative period of my life. I mean, I didn't watch movies or listen to music that was not Christian. I pretty much only read the Bible in Ellen White. Like <laughs> and and. And I look back and I think that that was what I needed at the time. It's not how I live my life now, but it was good. And then that was also when I was in law school and I was, again, afraid of everyone who was an Adventist. And um, 
but discovered that they were very nice people. And, (laughs) and then it was after that. So I finished law school and I decided that I only wanted to work for God at like professionally. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything that wasn't overtly ministry. So I did not take the bar exam. I, I, and actually to this day, I mean, I still don't want to be a lawyer, so I'm not, (laughs) but I wanted to work for the church. I had a very positive experience after my conversion is how I kind of refer to that um, with uh, the church in my area. The the College Dale Church is where I was going. And um, I really enjoyed the sermons there. I found a a Sabbath school class that I really liked. And um, I just had had a good experience. So my experience with the church at that time was also very positive in relationship to my um, spiritual experience. So... um, So I wanted to work for the church, not necessarily the local church, but the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to be a part of that mission and a part of that. So I applied like three places and and I ended up working at all three over the course of the next few years, actually. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, my experience, uh, not so much at Southern, I really enjoyed my time there teaching, but my experience at the other two ministries that I worked for, and one was a pretty major, pretty well-known ministry, um, and one was a smaller one, more local. But my experience was negative, and I worked with people who did not like embody the characteristics of true, mm. I would say, Christianity mm. that I was thinking they would, and that I felt like um, the, the the leaders in our church would and should have, and that sort of thing. So. It was interesting. Also, during that time, I dated somebody who um, was studying theology and is now a pastor. And unfortunately, that was also very negative because um, he confessed to me during the relationship that he was addicted to pornography. Mm. And from that point on, the relationship got really hard because he he um wasn't willing to seek help and became abusive towards Mm -hmm. me. So Mm -hmm. that ended, that was very negative. And then that caused me to really, all of those things, I think together, my, my work experience, my personal relationship experience, and all of that just kind of showed me, I guess, like the dark side, or I don't know, (laughs) just things that I just didn't know were there. I just didn't know they were there in the church. I mean, you'd heard, I'd always heard stories and, you know, but to personally experience, it was yeah, very yeah. disenchanting and very challenging for me. And so it was probably, I remember when I turned 28, I was coming out of all of that. And I was just like reeling, if you will. And um, and that was when I first actually discovered, I mean, I read some book, I think, and it just, it was about abuse and it included spiritual abuse as one of the things there's emotional, there's mental, there's physical, there's sexual, and there's spiritual abuse. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, how do these actually fit with the things that I've experienced, Mm -hmm. whether like in my relationship or other things, you know, and I just, it just fell into place. And I was like, really challenged by it because I loved God and I felt like the church was you know, part of that. But then the church was becoming or revealing, I guess, itself to me in ways that didn't match that. So (laughs) anyway, so the long story short, because I've been talking a long answer to your one question, (laughs) 
is just that I think all of that um, is is the process that kind of changed my view. And so then today, it caused me to really think about. And actually, when I when I shared with so the pastor that ordained my my ex boyfriend as like an elder in the church and then a pastor mm. in the church, um, that pastor when I informed him about what was going on and how everything wasn't as it appeared on the outside, he responded very negatively towards me and was kind of accusatory and said that I was bitter and unforgiving and used Matthew is it 18. I can't remember. Anyway, so that was, that didn't go well either. So that caused me to want to stop tithing to the church. And so then I did a whole study on tithing and um, like a personal Bible study on tithing. Cause I was just like, how can I, I don't know if this is where God's tithe should go, but I knew that I had signed like my baptismal vows said that I was supposed to give it to the church. So I did an exhaustive study on tithing in scripture and then I did an, not exhaustive, but I did a lot of research mm-hmm. into tithing historically within the Adventist church and how it had been set up and all of that sort of stuff. And <laughs> I decided like, okay, well, I know I'm going to be breaking my vows, my baptismal <laughs> vows by tithing elsewhere but I'm going to tithe elsewhere because I just feel like my my allegiance is to God, not to a man-made institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so like now, and I'm so blessed to be married to a man who is such a good, good person. And I'm so thankful for that because he's been just really helpful to me. I think God has really blessed me as I've worked through all of these um, complex issues with the church, my relationship to the church. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, healing from I, the things that I've been working through that I experienced in yeah. the past and all of that. So I've, I, I definitely feel like my relationship with the church at this point, I would have to describe as strained, but my relationship with God is, is strong. And I, and I feel like God kind of allowed me maybe to see the things that of course God sees. I mean, he sees it all. And, yeah. um, Anyway, bring me to a place where he is my, he is the only one for me. And it's not, my relationship with him mm. is not based on my relationship with the church in any way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's the game of this episode is, what did I say based on the answer that was given? Oh, I know what I asked. I asked, here I asked something about how did she keep her faith versus keep her faith yet be not feel connected to the church where some people completely throw out their faith and just turn their back on God so how did she maintain her relationship with God while her relationship with the church fractured as opposed to a lot of Adventists who just you know toss it all that was the question I I don't know I mean because I know that's true too I know that there's people who have thrown out all of it um, and, and I guess for me, that was never really, uh, that was just never really even something I thought about uh, because I think of my, and, and this is not to say that people, those others that have made that, um, decision never had an experience with God truly, but yeah. I really, for me personally, I think that because of that deep experience that I had with God, because I've met him and I just know him and he's amazing. I just can't imagine ever giving him up. I mean, whatever people or institutions may do, it just to me reveals to me that they may not be 
as much Christian as Pharisee. And Mm. it just separates them out from what I know God to be in my mind personally. But I think maybe for others, I I can't speak to like, you know, another person's journey because everybody has their own story. And but I don't know. I don't know. I I wonder if maybe they just haven't been um, exposed to the just the the beauty of God Mm -hmm. in a really personal way that would just keep them hanging on to that. I think too, to, to plug, um, one thing that I really appreciated, I went to between, um, no, it was after law school. Yes. After I finished law school, I went to, um, Arise, Mm -hmm. which is like Bible training school done by light bearers, Mm -hmm. which is like Ty Gibson and David Asherick and those guys. And, I was hugely, hugely benefited by that. And to this day, I think very highly of that ministry and those people that run it because I um, I experienced it. I mean, I lived there for a semester and I studied with under them and with them. And it was just a very positive experience for me. And And I think one of the things that made it so positive is I've seen in the lives of those people in that ministry a willingness to change as they like learn new things or if they feel like you know there's there's adaptivity there and 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 I don't know that I see that in the church as much <laughs> in the leadership or in the course of the church institution That's weird. so yeah <laughs> strange so I think you know I think a, an ability to admit when you feel like you've been wrong or you've done wrong and then to change course and to grow is like a huge thing, especially for our generation that values authenticity. And I think because I saw that there and because that is an Adventist, a supporting ministry of the Adventist church, Mm -hmm. that has given me like something else to kind of hang on to when Mm -hmm. I've seen like all of the bad (laughs) in the other places. And there's still other people that are seeking and know and like understand God the same way that I do and realize how amazing he is and are telling people how amazing he is. Yeah. So through the Adventist lens, even through the Adventist viewpoint. So I think that was also actually really important to me staying where I am because I have kept my name on the books. I really thought about not because, because of all of that, that I experienced and, Mm -hmm. and just because it made me rethink, like I said, my definition of church and it made me look at tithing tithing and all of that and it it just caused a lot of um introspection for me but um I don't know for now I've kept my name here because I don't know where else I would put it and I do believe like (laughs) in the I do believe biblically I think we're very at least closer probably than any other church I think biblically speaking to what I how I personally understand scripture and maybe Mm. that's just because that's how I was raised but (laughs) if nothing else I sure love the sabbath and I think that's key so what was I asking here I don't know probably something also really mind-blowingly wise oh I asked something about (laughs) What's the future of the church like with this mentality being prevalent in our generation? Like we, we, a lot of us hold on to our faith yet have huge problems with the organization. So what's the future of the organization and what does that look like if everybody stops giving their time and (laughs) resents the organization (laughs) structure? Okay, I think that's the question. I mean, I don't have the answer to that question, but I 
I think that like there are, I think that a lot of things happen organically, you know, things that aren't going to last don't and things that are going to last do. And I just think, you know, I really see in this generation through things like this podcast and things that grassroots are happening. I mean, millennials are producing all of this kind of content. I mean, you see it on social media, like not only this podcast, but there's a lot of others and other formats besides podcasts. And I think stuff like that, that is authentic and genuine. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that that will continue. And I think that as <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but like as as older ways and traditions um, um, become older, they're just going to kind of fade. I, I don't see that the things that can't last will continue and the things that can hmm. will actually continue. That was confusing. But. Uh-huh, exactly. What did I say? Probably something, uh, something incredibly wise, something about all the tithe drying up when everybody dies off maybe exactly well seriously i mean to put it very bluntly like you've just said i think most of the tithe is coming from older generations and that's just not always going to be the case so the church is going to have to either like revamp or and i and i i read oh what was it it's been a while now it was a book or a study or something about the life cycle of churches and how like almost like the the death of a church if you will is part of the life cycle of it and it gives it an opportunity to kind of start over and be something new and different and you know the adventist church started as a movement as a movement out of other religions mm -hmm. and maybe it's just naturally we've gotten to this point where we've become more more navel gazing and more <laughs> institution um, you know, focused than mission focused. And it's just going to organically take this course where that can't sustain. So it's mm -hmm. going to not, and then something else will come up in its place. And oh, this boy. is the, I mean, we are the generation that's, we will be here beyond what it is now. There's going to come a day where like we're here and what it is now, I think is not here anymore. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like kind of excited to see that. I think that Previous generations were raised with and really value reputation and appearance, it, just culturally. Just that's how, that's the values that they hold. And that doesn't hold the same value for millennials and, and um, generations after us. We value authenticity. Hmm. And so we are doing things and creating things and producing things that are along those lines. And so, I don't know, I just see that as continuing and taking hold and being more of and like I said I don't know if it will be I think there will always be Adventism but I do see the church as bigger than just Adventism so oh, oh, ha, ha, jokes <laughs> I had some kind of monologue here yeah yeah well I hope that's true <laughs> I would not be opposed but yeah yeah I agree what did I say Man, I'm talking for a long time, and I have no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I asked a hardball question. I mean, honestly, 
nothing sprang to the top of my mind when you when you asked that question. Oh, what are the good things about the church when we like to complain? <laughs> but what are some of the things that are still positive? <laughs> I I'm sure that there are. When I think of the good experiences or the good things that are related to the church that I've had in my life, it's it's pretty much always people, individual people, you know, mm-hmm. who are sincere. And and I know a lot of very kind, very um, sincere people who have very different viewpoints on how to live life than I do. Um, you know, whether maybe in some ways I would see as legalistic, but they're very kind and sincere people. And so I think, I don't know, as far as the church institution or organization, nothing springs to, to mind. But... Um, <laughs> That's legit. That's a legitimate answer. I mean, at some point, let it die, right, if it's not doing anything good. Oh, I think I said something about, like, um, a lot of a lot of people that I know, like, have problems with the church, but yet the, our culture is so ingrained in them that they feel like they can't let go because, like, let's be honest, we don't feel comfortable in the world in a lot of ways because of the way that our culture has raised us, but then at the same time, like, we're like, let us out! Um, but we can't completely let go because it's how we live and it is a different way of living. <laughs> I know. I just, I wish, I mean, I, it's cre- it's my whole life. I was raised in it and, you know, to some degree, the community and the culture that is just so ingrained in me as a human being is, is all due to that. So for better or for worse, it has shaped me and it's made me who I am. And, and that's true. And, you know, that is what that is. So I don't know. Maybe that could be seen as both a positive and maybe a negative, but a positive as well. Because I don't, I like me. I think I'm okay. <laughs> now I'm asking what advice would she give to uh, our peers in the church who have similar experiences or are going through similar things? Um, I would say, like, don't judge yourself if you feel like leaving the church or you know, you'll get that from enough people. You don't need to put that pressure on yourself. Stay true to what you know is true. If you love Jesus and you find beautiful things there, follow that. And if you are finding, you know, less beautiful things or things that you don't like, there's no need to try to make that a part of your experience with God. Because, I don't know, I just... I just think it's important to distinguish out. I mean, even Jesus is going to distinguish like wheat from the chaff. Like you just take the good and spit out, eat the watermelon, spit out the seeds, you know, <laughs> take what's good, leave what's mm-hmm. not. And don't try to call things that aren't good, good and vice versa. I mean, be honest with yourself about what you're looking for and follow what is truly good for you. And every person's journey is different. And so, you know, as we know. So I think for me, like, for instance, um, here in Asheville, like, we do like a home church. We call it pajama church. And we just have (laughs) friends over every Saturday. And we just pick a sermon that we want to watch. And we have brunch. And it's super fun. Nice. Yeah. So because personally, I mean, there's just not a local church for me that I've found. And so if it means that or if it means keeping Sabbath in a way that works for you that other people might not understand or agree with, I mean, we all, maybe later in your life, you'll look back and be like, well, that wouldn't work for me now, but it works for me then. It's okay. It's all okay. Just be okay with yourself and be kind to yourself because God is kind with us. And, Hmm. you know, God doesn't leave us because we're at a certain point or any point in our journey. He's Hmm. always with us. So 
I don't know, just I think being very honest with yourself about what you need and what you want and following that and following what's true and good is huge. So now is where I switch gears and ask my last final question about what she likes in pop culture, what she's consuming, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I have something I have to say to you. Speaking of pop culture. So I was listening to your previous podcast and I love you because we are both huge Chuck, Zach Levi, Chuck fans. Best show. Oh, I loved Chuck. What did she think about the ending? We argued about the ending. Hated it. I hated it. I know you probably liked it. I knew people that did. I just felt so let down by that final episode. Well, also, I hated that it ended. I didn't want it to end because it was the best show ever. But I was just like, why? (laughs) I didn't have a problem with it. I liked it from an artistic perspective, but I could see why people wouldn't like it. And also, the other thing I have to say about this isn't pop culture, really, but Paralandra is also my favorite C.S. Lewis book for the same reasons that it is yours. Yes. Oh, my goodness. There's things to think about for a thousand years about that book. I know. (laughs) Same. It's so good. It's so good. And I didn't like the third book in that series either. So that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Pleasantries, pleasantries. Probably something endearing here. But I really appreciate you having me. It was really fun. Yeah, and me of the future says it was really fun. (laughs) Even the second time around when I was reenacting myself and making up for the fact that I bungled one more podcast episode and going out with a bang before the hiatus. (laughs) All right, so hopefully, uh, hopefully I didn't detract too much from what she had to say from my horrible production skills, but I'll see you guys next week. Don't forget... There are, let's see, only two more episodes after this. So hold on to your pants and we'll see you next week.